0: All right, so John chapter ten so it's interesting section here. We are kind of concluding a section in the book of John in, in, in the Book of John where Jesus is going to leave Jerusalem at this point at the end of this discussion here that that, that we 're going to see, and he 's going to go to uh, a, another region more of a of, of a desolate place and he 's going to stay there until he comes back to Jerusalem to be crucified, so this is kind of the last little section in the book of John where he has a conversation with people who want to kill him. And as we've gone through, we've, we've gone through chapter 5, chapter 6, through all the way through 10. And there's been multiple conversations he's had with religious leaders and Pharisees of the Jews. And it's just been this one problem after another. Jesus has healed somebody on the Sabbath. He's healed the blind man. He's, he's done things that have stirred up the religious leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees. And they picked up stones to try to kill him. They try to push him off of a, of, of a cliff. And just on and on and on, this is kind of what we've seen up to, up to this point. And we're, gonna, we're getting to the end of it. We're getting to the end of it in John chapter 10. And then he's going to be going away. He's going to spend the rest of his time with his, his disciples, teaching them, training them, preparing them for, for what's about to take place. And so this is where we're at here. And just to just to kind of give a, a picture, just just to refresh our memory, because we've been in the book for several months now, and we're, on, we're we're halfway through. So, by my estimation, we'll at least be in John on Wednesdays through the end of the year, possibly a little bit of 2019. But just to go back, you know, the point of the the Gospel of John. John's purpose was to communicate to us as the readers that Jesus is the Son of God. That is his primary purpose. The purpose of the book is to communicate to us and that we would believe that Jesus is God. That that Jesus and the Father are equal. And that's what we see. That's how he started the book. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was God. And who's the Word? Verse 14. The Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he starts off his book, chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off and he says, Jesus is the Word, and the Word is God, and the Word became flesh. God became flesh as Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And then you go to the end, so at the beginning he's declaring that, then towards the end, chapter 20, there's 21 chapters in, in John you, you look at 20, and it, 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 again, John tells us what the purpose of his book is. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. What is written in this book is that you, it's, it's written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose. That's the heart of this book. It's to exalt Christ as the son of God. To see him in his deity. That he's just not a good man or a good teacher. He's God. He's God. Him and the father are one. He's God in the flesh. And that by believing in him you can have life. Not just, not just life to the fullest on a temporary basis. But you can have eternal life through his, through his son Jesus Christ Forever. By, by salvation in his name. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose of the book. That's, that's the purpose. And, and, and again, that's the central thing that we've been getting back over again in these several chapters leading up to, to this culminating conversation here. And that's what it centers around. Jesus is declaring, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. You've got to believe in me. I and the Father are one. And, and these Pharisees, these, these religious leaders, they can't handle it. And, they can't. and he's been demonstrating his power over and over again. He's been, he's been not just declaring that he's the Son of God, not just declaring that him and the Father are one. He's been backing up the claims by, by doing miracles, by, by proving to them that he is from God. But what, but what are they doing? They're ignoring it over and over again. So I titled this message, Will You Believe? Right? That's, that's, that's the theme of the entire book. Will, will we believe? Will these people believe? Will they believe in Jesus? And that's the heart of Christianity. Will people believe? Will we believe in Jesus Christ? And so let's, let's with that in mind, let's look at John 10. And again, it's a long section here that we're, that we're going to cover. But let's read these verses, these 20 verses here, and then we'll unpack it. So John 10, starting at verse 22. At the time at that time, the Feast of, of Dedication, which, uh, which would be ha- the, the celebration of Hanukkah uh, that the Jews would celebrate, took place at Jerusalem, it, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? This is so interesting. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ... Tell us plainly. Like, did we... It's like, wait a minute. We just went through all of these chapters, right? I mean, that's what we've heard. Again, this has been kind of a redundant thing for us. Almost every week, we have a section in Scripture where Jesus is saying, Hey, hey guys, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I and the Father are one. I only say what I hear my Father say. Do what I see him do. I'm God. So, I don't think they really... We're looking for answers or for truth here. Because he has made it plain. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you. But you did not believe. Will you believe? Will, will you? Are you going to believe? You don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, say that with me, say no one. No one one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch someone who belongs to God out of his hand. He says it twice here. My father who gives them to me is greater than all. And so because... He's greater than all. No one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So they wanted it plain, right? He put it plain. He put it plain here. And what did they say? Verse 31, what did they want to do? The Jews picked up stones again. They picked up stones. Second time we've seen in John, they picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Wow. Just think. Let's just think about this scene for a moment. They're coming to Jesus. They're they're coming to confront him. They're not coming for truth. They're not coming for answers. They're not interested in what he has to say. So they're coming to him. They say, make it plain, Jesus. Who are you? What are they trying to do there? They're trying to trap him in his words. They had the rocks right close by. Maybe they were in in their back pocket if their robes had back pockets. They were ready to pull the rocks out. They weren't, they were trying to trap Jesus because they knew, they had heard him say it many times before in these conversations he was having with them. They knew who he claimed to be because they've heard him say it and they've seen the works. So they were trying to trap him. And so when he, when he did make it plain and he did ultimately say, I and the father are one, they picked up stones. So just look, think of the scene. They picked up stones, they're ready to stone, they're angry, they're ready to take their stone and bash Jesus' face in. Kill him, murder him right there. That's, that's the level of hatred and anger that's in their heart. And ultimately, that level of hatred and anger is ultimately what crucified Jesus Christ. It wasn't his time yet, and you'll see later on as we read, he gets, he, he, he gets out of the way here. But look, look at the power in Jesus' words. He takes their anger and they, they don't do anything. And he, be, and he turns it and he answers them. Which, which one of, the, he talks to him, which one of, the, of my good works are you going to stone me for? And Jesus answered him, it is not, and the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And listen to Jesus' answer. He quotes Psalm 82. Jesus says this. Is it not written in your law? And it's written. It says in Psalms 82. It says, I said you are gods. Lowercase g. And the picture there. The idea there is that people will look at human beings. And they will call them gods. They will, they will give them a, 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 a level of deity. They will look at human beings. And they will pl- place them like gods. So he's saying that that's what your law says. That people humans will look at other people and say that they're gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the word of God came to these people and they're so-called lowercase gods and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him, speaking of himself, whom the father consecrated and sent into the world that you're blaspheming? He's saying, I'm truly God. I'm really God. All these other ones that are, are being called gods, They are given the word of God. They have to receive the word of God. I am coming from God. I am the word of God. God consecrated me and God sent me. I come from God. I am God. And you're saying that I'm blaspheming? You're saying that I'm blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works That you may know and understand that the Father is in me. And I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their hands. Because it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't the time for his death yet. Verse 40. And he went away again across the Jordan. To the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he he remained. And he remained there until it was time to come back to Jerusalem. To present himself. To be arrested and crucified but he, he went away for a for a, a season verse 41 and many came to him when he went to the desolate place and many came to him and they said John did no sign but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there and many believed in him there It's a powerful section there. And so there's lots that that we could talk about. And we've kind of covered all of these things. This is just another conversation among many conversations we've gone through up to this point. Where you have Jesus declaring things and religious leaders getting angry. Jesus declares something or he does something on a day that he shouldn't be doing something. uh, According to the Jews, healing on the Sabbath, breaking their traditions and they get angry and they blaspheme him. They, they say that he's got a demon. They say that he's of the devil. They say he, he, he is not God. And, and th- so that's kind of what we've seen building up to this point. And this is the last conversation he has with them like this. And he goes away. He's not coming back until it's time for him to let them stone him. To let them kill him. Because he, 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 he gives up his life. No one takes it from him. He gives up his life and so this is what i thought how what are we going to say what what can i say that i have not already said about all of these sections and so i just have kind of three big picture points here that kind of i guess summarize what we've covered for the last several chapters so as we conclude this section i see three things that stand out the first one is this i see the tragedy of unbelief the tragedy of unbelief The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. They picked up stones to stone the son of God. That's never a place you want to be in your life. They picked up human beings that were created in the very image of God. That God created. Picked up stones to stone him. God in the flesh. That is tragic. If they would understand what they were doing. like If, if, you, if someone told you that, that you wouldn't possibly one day kill the son of God, it, it should make you shudder. Right? It's so tragic. They picked up stones again to stone him. It's, it's, it's the tragedy of unbelief. John chapter 5. Jesus heals a lame man on the Sabbath. The man was lame for 38 years. Look what John 5, 18 says. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They were seeking all the more to kill him because he had broken their traditions. It's tragic. It's tragic whenever you can't see the truth right in front of you. That's a tragedy. The, 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 the tragedy of unbelief is that truth is obvious. Truth is plain. The son of God was in front of them, healed a man that had been lame for 38 years. And because he did it on the Sabbath day, they, they couldn't receive. They couldn't see. Their unbelieving hearts blinded them to the truth. And it's a tragedy. That's what we saw in John chapter 5. You go, we go on in John chapter 5. Jesus speaks to the Jews who were upset. With him for healing on the Sabbath, John five thirty nine through forty. He says this: You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Listen to this: Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's tragic whenever people will refuse to come, like life is available. It would be like if it'd be like if somebody was dying. And there was a remedy right in front of them. There was a remedy and they could be healed or be cured and it's right there and they just say, no, I don't want it. I'm not gonna, I'm not not gonna take the remedy. I'm not gonna take the cure. And, and I just, what Jesus is saying here, you search the scriptures you, and, and you're looking for truth. You search them looking for life. And, and, and the point of all of the scriptures and the culmination of life is right here in front, in front of you. But you refuse to believe. You refuse to receive. That's tragic. That's the tragedy of unbelief. Unbelief is tragic. Unbelief is tragic that people would reject what is plainly true in front of them. We go on. John chapter 6. Jesus feeds the multitude at the beginning of John 6. And they follow him the next day. You guys remember when we covered that section? So so Jesus feeds the multitudes. And and he goes to the other side. He goes to the other side of the the sea. Goes to the other side in a boat. And the people wake up the next morning. And they look around. They're like, man, I slept good because my belly was full. And they look and they, wait a minute. There were some boats here. But they're not here now. Where is Jesus? We need, we need breakfast and lunch. Like We've got to figure this out. And so they, they cross to the other side. They look for Jesus. And they have a conversation with him. And they said, where have you been? Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He looks at him and he says, you're not following me. You're not following me because you believe in me. You're not following me because you believe the effects of my works. My works should have demonstrated to you who I am. And so you should fall on your face and worship me. How is it possible for thousands of people to be fed with just a few loaves and a few fish, right? That should be the obvious implications of what took place there. But why were they following him? Jesus knew. He said, because your bellies were filled. That's why you were following me. And so Jesus Begins this conversation with them. And it goes on and on. And so Jesus, what he's doing here in this section in John 6, he's exposing their motives. He exposed their motives and why they were following him. And then he says, okay, I want to tell you what it's really like to be my disciple. And he makes this crazy statement. He says, if you really want to follow me and come after me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's like, like that's this, wait a minute. You know, like Jim Jones, Kool-Aid stuff going on here. This is way before Jim Jones. But this is kind of like, this is a hard saying. His disciples look at Jesus. Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can know it? You can't seriously believe that we're going to follow you and eat your flesh and drink your blood. And clearly Jesus was not saying literally eat his flesh, drink his blood. He was using a picture to describe to them that it was going to cost them everything to follow him it was total commitment and it was the commitment of believing in what he was going to be doing which was sacrificing his life on the cross for them and john 6 66 culminates and says this after this saying after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him it's tragic it's it's tragedy it's a tragedy when people walk in unbelief because truth is right in front of them John 8, we, we continue on. John 8, we, we covered this. Jesus speaks with the Pharisees in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. He culminates, the culmination of the conversation by saying that before Abraham was, I am. He has this whole conversation with them. And, and, and they're telling, they're, he, they're, he's telling them that he's the bread of life. And he's a, and, and they're saying, well, hey, we, we, got, we had bread and, 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 and Abraham's our father and and uh, God fed us in the wilderness, and they point to, to Abraham, to Moses, and Abraham. They go back and forth, and and Jesus makes these statements, John eight fifty five through fifty nine. But you have not known Him. I know Him. It's Jesus speaking about the Father. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So again, this is the first time. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It's tragic. It's tragic that they would be willing to kill the Son of God. They're blinded to, to who he is. John 9 this is the whole section here. This is what we covered a couple of weeks ago. John 9, the healing of the blind man. And it was such a powerful story when Jesus heals a man born blind. And, and his disciples ask a question, was it because of his sin or was it his parents' sin that he was born blind? And they go through this whole dialogue. And and the Pharisees cannot, they can't wrap their mind around the fact that Jesus actually did it. They actually go to question the, 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 the man's parents and said, was he really born blind? Like, we want to go to the source. Like, you're his parents. Like, maybe this guy's lying. Maybe he's lying. He said he was blind, but now he can see. But he, maybe he's not telling the truth. And so he goes to the parents. And the parents said, hey, he's a grown man. He can speak for himself. And they said, yeah, he, he was born blind. Absolutely. But, but you, you talk to him about it. He'll tell you who healed him. And let's, let's, let's read. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. Does not keep the Sabbath. But but others says, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a, a division among them. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he comes from. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? This is the culmination of that section there. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Meaning if you would recognize your blindness, you would have no guilt. But because, but now that you say I see because you don't know that you're blind and you think you see, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. It's tragic. That's that's what I see in this whole section, culminating all the way up to this section in John 10. I just see the tragedy of unbelief. Over and over again, Jesus declares who he is, but then he backs it up with signs and wonders and miracles. He, He shows them over and over again, and in the face of the plain truth, they reject. They reject. John 10, 19 through 21, right before we started in verse 22, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? They called the son of God, God in the flesh. They said that he was demon possessed and he was insane. that He lost his mind. That's tragic. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There's somebody with some Common sense right there. So why is unbelief tragic? Why is unbelief tragic? I have three reasons why. I just want to hear what you think first. Why is unbelief tragic? Why is it tragic that somebody would not believe has eternal consequences? Absolutely. Eternal consequences. Anybody else? Why is it tragic? That's right, unbelief is the opposite of faith. And Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And because of that, because of that unbelief, you have eternal consequences. Absolutely. It's tragic, absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. They're they're missing out. They they they're missing out on true love, on the blessings of true love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I wrote down three reasons we all kind of touched on them. Just three things that I thought about. Why is unbelief tragic because the truth is obvious? Like if the truth wasn't obvious, then unbelief unbelief is not tragic. But like if the truth is obvious, what do we see in Romans 1? See in Romans 1 that God has made it plain to everybody. Everyone is without excuse. Why is everybody without excuse? Because God has made it plain that he is real through the created order. You would have to be a fool. Scripture says you're a fool to look at this world and say there's no God. Only a fool says in his heart there is no God. It's foolish to look at something that is organized and structured and detailed as our creation is as as not just the world around us but our human bodies and just to say well there really is no God so what so 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 it's tragic when the truth is obvious and in, in our context when you look at Jesus's life he didn't just say things and didn't back up what he said he didn't just make claims and they weren't empty claims he backed up his claims and so that's one of the first things I think of, that tr- the unbelief is tragic because the truth is obvious. It's obvious. Secondly, because the blessings of belief are life-changing. The blessings of belief in Jesus Christ, his love, his peace, his joy, forgiveness, freedom, being set free. The, the blessings of belief are life-changing. It's tragic whenever somebody sees yeah, just well, it will ignore the obvious truth that's there in front of them. And, and because they ignore that, they are missing out on, on the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. I am so excited. I'm going to begin a series on Sunday mornings in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be getting that uh, June 24th. It'll be the first Sunday. We're going, to be, we're going to go through the whole book. You guys ready to go through the whole book on Sunday mornings? We're going to go through the whole book. And that's one of the first things we're going to cover in Ephesians is, is who we are in Christ. Who are we in Christ? What are the spiritual blessings that we find, that we that we have being in Christ? And and if we ignore the obvious truth of the gospel, we are missing out on all of the spiritual blessings that come from being in Christ. We are adopted. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are forgiven. We are free. We have peace with God. So that's why it's tragic. Thirdly, because unbelief is damning. Unbelief is damning. There's eternal consequences. That's why it's tragic. Because one day, those that are in, in unbelief, they have not received Jesus as their Savior. They have rejected the obvious truth of who God is. It's damning. It is eternally damning to not believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. So that's the first thing that I see. I see the tragedy of unbelief. Just as we've gone through this whole section. And, and look, as we continue on into this next chapter, it's, it's going to switch. We're going to begin. It's going to be a different type of narrative here. And we won't have a lot of these types of conversations here. But it's just, that's what we've been coming up against. Have you, have you guys been feeling that over the last several weeks? As we go through, through these sections, it's just like these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they ref, are refusing to believe and they hate Jesus because of who he is and what he's saying. And it's tragic. The second thing that we see that stands out is, particularly in this section, is we see the security of those who who believe. So we see the tragedy of unbelief, but now we see the security of those who believe. Let's look back at John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. No one has the ability to steal from God what belongs to him. No one has the ability to steal from God what belongs to him. You think, you think anybody can take something that belongs to God and take it from God? You can take it from me if you got a gun, Right? You can take it from me if you're bigger than me, you can beat me up, right? You can take things from me because I'm, I'm finite and I'm human, but you can't take anything from God. When God says, that's mine, he belongs to me, she belongs to me, that's my sheep, that's my sheep, they're mine, they belong to me. There is nobody, there's no devil in hell that can take anybody from the Father's hands. When they are his sheep, they're his sheep. And when that sheep goes off, what, what does a sheep that belongs to God what happens to that sheep when they try to wander off? He goes out and follows them, finds them. They get caught in the thicket and the thorns they 're about to fall off the cliff. What does the good shepherd do? He goes and he finds them because there 's nobody that can take us from his care, the security. We, we need to know that we belong to him. We are his. He owns us acts twenty twenty eight says this I've I read a portion of this scripture. In, a, in our pastoral staff meeting uh, this week. It says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is speaking to us as, as pastors. Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He's telling the pastors, pay attention to yourself. Be self-disciplined. Watch your spiritual life. Don't, don't live in such a way that you, that you compromise your message because you're saying one thing, but you're living differently. So he's saying, pay careful attention to yourselves and also pay careful attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So God has made us as pastors to care for his flock. Listen to this. It's so powerful here. It says, how, how did he obtain this flock? Which he obtained with his own blood. Some translations say purchased with his own blood. So, so we belong to God. Why? Because he paid for us. He paid for us. And how did he pay for us? With his blood. The ultimate Sacrifice, So you belong to God because of your faith in him and his provision for you on the cross. He paid for you. He bought you. You belonged and we belong to God because he bought us with his very own blood. We see this in 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Again, that same picture. You belong to God. God's not going to let go of something that belongs to him. You are his. He's in your hands. You you are in his hands. You belong to him. He doesn't let go. Ephesians 1, 5 through 7 gives this picture of us being adopted. We are his children. He He bought us with his blood and he adopted us into his family. Having predestined us, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Have you ever heard people make the statement, they'll say something like, everybody is the are children of God. You, you ever heard that? You know, we're all sons and daughters of God. Like everybody on the planet right now. You know, like we're all sons and daughters of God. You know, that's not true. Scripture tells us that sons and daughters of God are the ones who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and been adopted. All the sons and daughters of God, they're all adopted sons and daughters of God. Before they're adopted into the family... They're not sons and daughters. They're enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, they're made in his image. We're all generally made in his image and in, in his likeness. But to be a child of God means you have to be adopted into his family. You have to receive the salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then you are drafted in to the family. You are adopted into the family. And you are, and you are part of his. This is what we see in, in Romans 8. This picture of adoption into the family of God. We are his sons and daughters. For as many as are led. As many as are led. By the spirit of God. These. Are the sons of God. So who are the sons of God? But what does it say there? Who who are the sons of God? Those that are led by the spirit of God. So you can only be a son and daughter of God. If you're led by the spirit. And to be led by the spirit means that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Non-believers are not led by the Spirit of God. You have to be a believer to be a son or a daughter of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We are His children. We belong to Him. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We We get to cry out to God as His sons and daughters and call Him Father. Abba, Daddy, Father God, have a personal relationship with him. We, belo- we belong to him. He doesn't let us go. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Let's go back to John ten twenty seven through 30. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They are, we are his sheep. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. The chief shepherd is committed to caring for and protecting his sheep and we are secure in him. You need to know that. You are secure in him. You know, I think a lot of believers struggle With security and assurance of salvation. Because of a struggle of of sin. You know becoming a Christian. Doesn't mean you cease to sin. Becoming a Christian means you battle sin. You guys hear that? Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you cease sinning. Becoming a Christian means you start fighting against sin. Before you were a Christian. You didn't fight against sin. You just went with the flow. But becoming a Christian. Now you fight against it. You know. Growing in Christ, becoming who God's called you to be is like disciplining your body. It's what Paul talked about. He says, I beat my body, I buff it, I make it my slave, lest after I preach to somebody, I'll be disqualified. So becoming mature in Christ is like an athlete training their body to win a prize, to win an event, to, to be the best in, in their field of athletics. And that's what it's like in the Christian life. When we become justified, we, and we, because of our faith in Jesus, we become adopted into the family And we are in his grip and even our sin and this is people don't like to hear this but even our sin doesn't cause him to let go of us actually our sin when, when we sin and make mistakes i think he tightens the grip and he says i'm not letting you go i'm going to work in you i'm going to take that chisel cuz you belong to me look it, look i'm not i'm not here to discipline your kids right you get mad if i came to your house Jared, if I came to your house, Jared and Shira, if I came to your house and I started disciplining your kids and I, act, I just act like they belong to me, you're going to get feisty with me. There's the door. Get out. Of here. Those are my kids. Why? Because we discipline our kids. And that's what Christ does. So when we sin, what do we need? We need discipline. When my kids sin and they make mistakes, I don't just let them go. Good luck. Have fun. No, I tighten my grip. And I tighten my grip because they're mine. They belong to me. And I take that chisel and I chisel away. And I help them and I help them grow. That's what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. That's what it means that that we're in the Father's grip. You are secure in him and he's faithful to help you mature in, in the faith. Amen? That's what the chief shepherd does. He's committed to caring for and protecting his sheep. Because of that, we're secure in him. That's the second thing that I see. Third thing I see is this. I see the continual offer to those who do not believe. I see the tragedy of unbelief. It is tragic. It is the the tragedy of all tragedies. To look truth in the face. To look truth in the face and want to throw a stone at it. There have been things, there are things that you can encounter that, that, that are true. Things that you will hear that are true. People that stand in the truth. You'll, you'll come in contact with. But to have truth incarnate. Truth in the flesh. Look you in the eye. Like we see in. The, that we covered in John. And do want to throw a stone in, in his face. It's tragic. So that's what we've seen. And we also see. We see that we're secure in him. I see that those that believe. They belong to him. And thirdly. We see the continual offer. To those who do not believe. Let's go back to the text. As we conclude here. John ten forty through 42. He went away after he was tragically rejected by those who do not believe. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. It's true. And, And because they saw truth in the face... These people didn't pick up a stone to throw a stone at the face of truth. What did they do? And many believed in him there. Many believed. And look, this is what I see. The continual offer, the free offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is available to all. It's available to all. Everyone can come to faith in Jesus Christ if they will first see the truth. Acknowledge the truth. Not throw a stone in the face of truth and recognize who Jesus is. You have to see truth. You have to recognize it and see it. Acknowledge who you are apart from Christ. And submit to truth. It's the free offer is available to all. Wherever the gospel goes. Wherever the gospel goes. The offer of salvation is available to those who will respond in the flesh. And what we see here in John 10. Is that the gospel in the flesh. The gospel in the flesh. Crossed the Jordan to a desolate region. And there his call to repentance and faith was again made available the gospel in the flesh crossed the jordan crossed over from a place of rejection where people wanted to throw stones in the face of truth crossed over the jordan the gospel in the flesh crossed over and found a place of belief cuz wherever the gospel goes salvation can happen the gospel is the power of god unto salvation not 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 good not good self-help motivation is the way of salvation. Not just having a better life. Not just, not just, you know, propping yourself up. That's not the way of salvation. What is the way of salvation? With the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And Jesus is the gospel message. Wherever the gospel goes, salvation is available. I just want to read this. This is Isaiah 55. This is just a picture that the prophet Isaiah gives us of the, the the declaring of the gospel in the in in the Old Testament uh, through the prophet Isaiah pointing forward to Christ and you see the heart of the gospel calling to people that are that are thirsty that have that, that are empty that have no satisfaction and they they have they've possibly they've looked at truth in the face and they've rejected truth and they're empty and they're desolate and listen to the heart of the gospel through the prophet Isaiah Isaiah fifty five one through seven. Some translations, you put the word ho right here instead of come. So before I read it, that word ho means listen. And it's like a, a declare, it's like a town crier would go into the, back, back in the day, go into the center of the town and would, would cry out loud for everyone to listen because he has news to share. He would cry loud. That's what it means here. Come, ho, listen, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. Why do you spend your money. Why do you spend your money. For that which is not bread. And your labor. For that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear. That your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast sure love for David. Behold I am a witness to the peoples. A leader and commander for the peoples. Behold you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that, that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Listen to this. Truth and salvation could not have been any closer to these people right here. It was there. And listen to the prophet Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He was right there. How tragic it is to have truth in front of your face and you reject it and you say no. I don't want it. It's a tragedy of all tragedies. Seek him. While he may be found. Because there will be a day when the mercy is no more. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. I love that section of scripture. Come. Buy. If you have no money. What's that saying? The gospel is free. It's not by works. You can't offer to buy salvation. It's, it's free. How do, you, how do you buy wine and milk without money? You can't buy it without money, right? That's, that's the point there. It's free. It's free. Salvation is free. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I, gotta, I know that all of us in here, we know some, someone who looks truth in the eye and has rejected. Lord I pray. God, that, that that tragedy would, would be no more. And I pray Lord. That those that we know. Those that we work with. Our, maybe even our family members that we live with. God I pray that they would look at truth in the eye. And that they would come, that they would come near. That they would surrender. That they would come. And receive the free gift of salvation. Through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray Lord for all those. Lord, that that don't know you. Pray that they would surrender to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for, for, for saving the lost. God, I thank you for bringing in people to our lives, to our church, Lord, that don't know you so that they can come in contact with the truth, that they would surrender. God, I thank you also for the revelation, Lord, that we belong to you, that we are your sons and your daughters and that you do not let us go, that you are committed to making us more like your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for your truth and for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would seal it in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the, for the, for the gift of the gospel, the gift of salvation. God, bless your people tonight as they leave. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.